everyone and welcome to the next edition of the VTX podcast. Here at the Veterinary Thought Exchange, we'd like to start by asking, what are you thinking? And this week, we're going to be thinking and chatting with the amazing Liv uh, from Vet Gone Real. That's how you, you might know her in social media. We talk about her journey through veterinary medicine and how that started as an aspiring surgeon to becoming actually a qualified coach, teaching veterinary teams about the value of positive psychology. We talk about the power of divorcing our expectations or divorcing from our expectations that we put on ourselves and how emotions are not as simple as being either good or bad or positive or negative and what it means to live your life with purpose and show up as your authentic self. In our clinical segment, we'll finish off our chat about hypothyroidism and just run through some of the treatment options for that disease condition. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by uh, Liv from Vet Gone Real. We have just enjoyed watching you flourish on social media and, and all the kind of work you're doing. And it's so so nice to kind of connect with people, you know, in this kind of world we live in now, we're meeting people in all these different sorts of ways. So I, I don't know if you can just start by introducing yourself and just explaining a little bit about your veterinary career journey, if we like that word, um, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hi, Scott. Thank you so much for having me with you today. No I am honored. I'm thrilled. I love that you use the word flourish on <laughs> social media. <laughs> I think it's very difficult difficult to say that I I flourish because I really, really struggle with social media. It doesn't come to me naturally. It's not something that I'm really good at. I never thought out that I would be out there in social media. So, um, and also the word flourish, obviously it's uh, very closely related to positive psychology, which is my thing. Ah, okay. So, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. I just chose one. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> Anyway. No, that's absolutely perfect. So in positive psychology, we seek um, a way to allow someone to flourish in their life. And um. the word flourish, it's something that's very important to positive psychologists. Which, uh, so as you guys probably know now, <laughs> I'm a positive psychologist okay. and uh, I'm also a veterinary surgeon. So mm -hmm. I graduated over nearly six years ago as a veterinary surgeon in Poland. I came to UK quite early on in my career. Uh, I knew that I wanted to specialize in surgery and I followed that path for quite a few years. I went through a few internships. I practiced in general practice in the referral places, um, in the research as well. So my background is quite rich, I would say. I was exposed to different environments, which I'm really, really grateful for. Mm -hmm. And also I had a chance to work with many different flavors of people, I would say. Mm, I love that. <laughs> so let's talk about good words. I love flavors of people because that, that really, that's very descriptive. I think people will get a feeling that not all of those flavors are maybe sweet. <laughs> Some of them are spicy, sour. <laughs> I like the spicy option. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, sorry, yes. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think um, when we talk about people, obviously we talk about diversity. We, we know how varied people can be, how many different kinds of people are out there. I'm not talking only about nationality or race, religion, political orientation. We 
are um, unique. Every single person is really unique. So you might have a, a twin brother who shares with you life and experience, but you are a different person. You have a different personality. Mm -hmm. And even in veterinary medicine, where there's a, quite a specific type of personality that enters our veterinary world, we, a lot of us are type A personality, really ambitious, very often competitive, high achievers, even within that realm of type A personalities, we have so many different kinds of people. And I think it's absolutely wonderful and fantastic. Like you said, not everyone is sweet. <laughs> but no one no one is defined no one has one flavor we all have different um i would say spices added here and there um sometimes you're full of cinnamon and sugar and sometimes you <laughs> might be very very chilly like <laughs> Uh, so I think the key is to not to try to define anyone, mm -hmm. to see the, all those flavors within one person and appreciate what is good and help them to grow and uh, change and improve what is not so great. And in my career, some of the people that I met, absolutely wonderful, precious people who were sweet cinnamon rolls, <laughs> who helped me to roll through that life. And some of them were much more spicy or bitter or sour. And they also taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. And they might not know that they taught me a lot, but they did. And I'm grateful mm -hmm. for that as well. So I think our our new analogy about spices, but ultimately what we're kind of saying is that there's we're, there's a variety of people that we meet in our career and they have different kind of influences on us. So going back, so you've come over from Poland. We're very grateful that you chose to come to the UK. Um, 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 and, and I think that's part of what I love about our profession, actually, which is, you know, the fact that it that actually one of the one, wonderful things that I've had in my career is about the kind of mix of nationalities and ethnicities and all that kind of stuff. I, I actually think that's one of the the greatest joys, particularly of my residency at Edinburgh University, was the fact that just what a tapestry of people from across the world, Europe and beyond. And I, I that was definitely one of the just wonderful things about training in the way that certainly I did. Um, so you you've come over to the UK and obviously you talked about different um internships. So what kind of what took you away from that kind of surgical specialty path? What, 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 why did you just, not that it's, you know, it's, it's all about different decisions, but why did that kind of change? Why did you decide not to do that? Mm. It's very interesting that you look at that as a decision because it's, uh, okay. it's life changing to me when I started considering that different path that came into my life as my decision, as my mm. active decision. So for many, many years, I had that parallel love for psychology. I was always interested in human beings. I always knew a lot about my co-workers. We just talked a lot. And I think that comes from the fact that I'm a very inquisitive person. I ask a lot of questions. I'm very direct. Sometimes in the UK, especially, I think, especially in the past, I could have been perceived a little bit rude <laughs> because I didn't know what is yeah. allowed, what is not. It took me some time to get used to, to British culture. But like I said, I'm a very direct person. I always cared about what other person thinks and feels. And it was really, really interesting to me. So I love getting to know people, um, getting to know their stories, their personal life, because this is what it shapes them. 
Mm. what we know about a person at work. This is just a little part of their whole story. There's so much more behind it. And it's easier to work with someone when you understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Did they have a difficult experience in their country where they came from? Is their culture completely different? Uh, Do they have a difficult situation at home with the relationship family can be anything. So to me, understanding those people was very interesting and also was very useful. Mm-hmm. because I knew how to work with them more and more. And this is, again, something that I learned. So my love for psychology, it was always out there. And I was following that surgical path, getting to know a lot of people uh, while following that, that surgical dream. And then I found myself in a place where I was very unhappy. I was not myself. I was, I think, the worst version of myself, I would say, ever. Um Surgical work can be challenging and I do love surgeons and guys, I'm sending my heart to you out there, but it can be a tank of sharks. And let's be honest, it's not easy sometimes. So yeah, situations were difficult. There was a lot of expectation of me that sometimes to me wasn't justified. I didn't understand. And I very often felt that I didn't fit in there. And the anxiety that I had from uh, my childhood I think I can say, I think it started when I was 11. I always had a level of social anxiety. Mm. It became aggravated through the environment where I worked. I really wanted to be liked. I really wanted to fit in. I was over enthusiastic. I was a people pleaser. I was out there, my Mm. whole self for others, but I lost myself there. So I become very unhappy like I mentioned, and I experienced incivility, I was bullied. Um, I found Mm. myself in conflicts, Mm. which I didn't expect to find myself in. One was with a person who was from Yorkshire. And to be completely honest with you guys, I couldn't understand the word (laughs) that person said. Mm -hmm. And then you find yourself in a conflict with some uh, completely, um, I misunderstood the world around me sometimes. Mm. So that brought me to quite difficult, difficult place. And I needed to find a way to help myself. And this is where psychology came into play, where I could actually use the skills that I learned through self-education, through um, my interest in psychology, and through helping myself I figure out that actually there are so many other people out there who feel exactly like me, Mm. who maybe don't fit in there, who have anxiety, who would like to be liked and loved and fit in, and they don't know how to do that. Um, So that made me make that active decision Mm. to stop following that dream, the surgical dream and diversify. But believe me, it was the most difficult decision of my life because it felt like a failure oh gosh so that makes me slightly emotional actually anyway I (laughs) this this happens to me a lot so there's a lot about that that I really potentially so I, I love the fact I love the fact that you made a decision actually I think that's very powerful I made a decision because this was not serving me you know in the way that I knew that that it it needed to going back to your comments about the colleague from Yorkshire those of you listening from Yorkshire we love you it's (laughs) but I think it's really but 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 just what I love is and actually it kind of plays in a little bit to this kind of 
microaggression conversation that we're having at the moment as far as you know that kind of um there, there, there can be really small things, you know, language barriers, that that kind of differences in culture where actually we probably both sides just need to be more understanding that there are differences. I work with a colleague just now and she will not mind me saying from Portugal and I've actually worked with a lot of people from Portugal and she had a total melt, not meltdown, rant at me the other day because there there had been a conflict and she was like, why is this being dealt with in this way? If you if we were in Portugal, we would have just said it and it would have been done and none of this silly British silliness. <laughs> and I was like, and it was just really, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, and it's, but it, it, it it's just a sight, it's a difference, isn't it? In a way of maybe approaching different situations. So I, I, I think for me, there's a real lesson there as far as like, we, we do need to be understanding of pe- pe- people, not just uh, from lots of different perspectives, you know, as well as kind of, you know, you, and you've obviously said that you said, I've come into a new culture and I've had to learn that potentially you do things in a slightly different way. And obviously you've, uh, and it's not like you're coming from a place of anything other than kindness, you know, ultimately, but, but sometimes that can be miscommunicated or whatever, for, for whatever reason. Um, and, and then coming back to this kind of, okay, let's come back to this sort of decision. And then you said disappointment or failure. And I just, that is hard, isn't it? Because why are we in a position where if we don't, go down that specialist road or whatever road in no way does that mean we are not a failure in many ways you've made a great decision (laughs) but so how did you deal with that feeling of fail failing failure how did you deal with that um so like I said it was very 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 difficult and it was a fight with myself because to be honest no one ever ever expected of me that I needed to that it was necessary for me to become a small animal surgeon it is something that I developed that love for surgery and it comes from the fact that I really like using my hands I really love creating things I'm a very creative person so in surgery you can see that very much you create things with your fingers you build something or destroy something Uh, so that very much Um, matched my personality and my skills so I thought yeah I love it it's very interesting so very early on when I was still a student I reached out to people from around the world sent thousands of emails out there trying to organize externships for myself to see how the referral world out there looks like because in Poland it doesn't exist so I heard about that and was really curious I wanted to see and go So I came to UK for the first time. For the first three weeks, I learned very well how to nod and smile because I could not, could not deal with the accent. It was unbelievable. But then I learned very gradually and the same way I went to Australia and to Canada. And I grew in that dream. I saw more and more and it to me it seemed amazing and modern and beautiful and and just amazing how those people the specialists work out there and I want to be like them and I told my family I told my friends I told people who I work with because when I was a student I started very early early on volunteering one of the local clinics where I could actually Uh, do some things with my hands and um, they taught me everything all the manual skills and I told them this is what I want to do I want to be a surgeon so it was kind of like decided it was decision it defined me very early on and I really stubbornly and blindly 
follow that path, convincing myself again and again and again and others again and again that this is what I needed to do, that it was a must have. So it was myself who applied that pressure. And I planted that seed in everyone around me, myself. And then when the trouble came, when the obstacles came, when it became more challenging and just not for me, when I realized that this is not the right path for me, it was very hard to go back because I increased that expectation. So my parents, mm -hmm. I thought they would be disappointed. Mm -hmm. My colleagues would laugh, laugh at me. It just felt like a failure mm -hmm. because of what I created. I can't tell you how much I relate with that because actually, you know, I did go down that specialist road, not to be a surgeon, um, but, and actually then one of the hardest things I've had to then deal with is slightly is detaching myself from that and maybe sort of saying, look, I'm not sure that I do want to do this in the same way that I always thought I did. And that that was the same thing, you know, explaining, having to sort of feel like you had to explain to people. It was almost like going through a divorce, that divorcing yes. my divorcing myself from this thing that I, that I had created, that I had put pressure on myself, that I had done. It was all, again, it was me that had created all of that. And so it's, a, yeah, I, I completely, completely relate with that kind of, with that challenge. So once you had decided that you were going to make that very sort of brave decision to not necessarily do the thing that you'd always said that you were going to do, how did that turn into what you are doing now? How did that, how was that created, the road that you're on, the road that you're on now? Mm -hmm. So first of all, um, I'm a typical vet and I'm very much data driven. I need to have research behind everything that I do otherwise I don't feel um, worthy of being listened to um, that imposter syndrome starts creeping in when uh, <laughs> I want to teach people about something that I know about so I knew a lot about psychology a lot of things that I learned myself but I had that need to uh, have a strong foundation to work towards helping others and I discovered positive psychology and was by accident somewhere out there online um just three years ago positive psychology still wasn't that much that well known let's say especially in the veterinary world and i found out about that branch of psychology i had a meeting with one of the supervisors from uh, anglia Ruskin university with nicola who changed my life that person literally we had a conversation we went for a coffee and she said, I think you really fit in. I think your face just brightens up when we start talking about what I teach. I was like, I, I think you're right. And for the first time, it felt like, oh my God, this, this is my place. <laughs> it feels good. Um, so I decided to do master's in positive psychology. In the meantime, as soon as I realized that others also suffer from similar issues that I used to, I talk more and more to other people um, with a goal of helping them. So this is how I started coaching. And then gradually, I got that foundation of the knowledge behind what I do. And I, through my course, university course, I become a coach and I could tell myself, finally coach, call myself a coach without that imposter syndrome. And um, it took a long time 
to be brave enough to say, hey, I have something that I can share with you, that I can help you. And from doing something unofficially for many years, talking to people, supporting them, then gaining all that knowledge of behind my and my skills and my new set of, of um, capabilities, um, I've become a positive psychology coach. And what I did initially with the initial, uh, with the individual, sorry, I realized that this is not enough, that we need to look at well-being from the comprehensive perspective, um, holistically that veterinary professionals work in the environment that very much influences who we are, how do we feel, how we work. So why should we help just the individuals if that is actually the whole environment that needs to be improved? So moving from the individuals, I started working with teams. And this is what I do now. I work with teams and organizations and help them. Wow. And so you, first of all, you are, a, you yourself are an extremely, I, you know, listening and speaking to you, you do exude positivity, by the way, like you, you've got that kind of, and so you've got that thing where you're like, oh yeah, I mean, she's, she's, she knows what she's doing here. So I think um, you do have that amazing kind of positivity about you. I think, one of the things that's interesting about the word positivity, right? So just because I'm I'm not denying for a second that positivity can be a very, very positive thing and a very good thing. There will be people listening that maybe are like, well, you know, okay, well, positivity, I mean, yes, um, we should be more positive. But maybe is that is it is that realistic you know what would you say to people that sort of say okay you know I, I get it fundamentally being positive must be a good thing but is being positive really a realistic thing all the time in life and 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 you know can positivity sometimes be too much and it's not really representative of the career and and what the challenges challenges we're facing so what, what would you kind of what would you what would your response be to that Mm -hmm. I think we need to uh, walk away um, from that uh, defining there's positive negative so the dichotomy mm -hmm. that there's only one option or another okay. nothing is black black or white so obviously we do use words positive negative however there's plenty in between there's neutral there's something can be slightly positive there's something that can be we're not so sure it could be a little bit negative I don't like the word positive and negative really I regret that positive psychology is called positive psychology because posi <laughs> <I love laughs> sorry that. all the positive psychology <laughs> in the world. I love that no but that but that's really but, but in itself that's really interesting because actually because it because I, I think I, my my initial reaction is oh god that's very sort of yes very positive negative but what you're kind of saying actually is that there's it, it's it's there's many shades of gray absolutely 100 percent. and even with the emotions i don't call emotions positive or negative and a lot of um uh, scholars out there they also uh, try not to use those words because to me emotions and emotions are our drivers emotions are what we live of what we create what really decides what we do with our life so we are all like buckets full of emotions that dictate our life so with the emotions 
um, instead of naming them positive or negative, I call them pleasant or unpleasant. So either it's it's good, to, like you feel that it's um, it's easy to go through, that it is a pleasant uh, experience, or it is unpleasant experience, more difficult. And for example, anger. Some people would say, well, it's a negative emotion, right? Anger. But on the other hand, anger is for a reason. If you feel anger, it gives you energy. It's inner. It's empowering. You want to yell. You want to scream. You want to grab something. You want to change. So it is empowering, even though some people would say it's a negative emotion. Mm -hmm. So positive psychology investigates positive emotions. This is how we call that, where it can be compassion, love, gratitude, loads of those things that are fluffy, sweet and rainbows and, and glitter that everyone thinks that positive psychology is. However, especially the second wave of positive psychology, we now discuss even the third wave, but the second wave of positive psychology particularly acknowledges that there, um, there is a negativity there, there are difficulties are out there, and that a lot of positive emotions come through that negativity. So when you think about um, compassion, for example, compassion is the emotion that is so directly related to something bad and negative that mm. it cannot exist without it. You cannot be compassionate towards someone, be loving and that, giving them that beautiful care if they wouldn't be, if, if they were not in trouble, if, the, if they weren't uh, in need for compassion. So it's a positive emotions that comes from negativity. And we do acknowledge that. So every time I talk to someone about positive psychology, ask me, so what is that? Like, what is it that you do? Uh, and I told them, listen. <laughs> listen, let me tell you. <laughs> listen, let me tell you. <laughs> Um, okay, so imagine your every everyday life and you work on clinics and there's always something happens, there's always some shit and shit happens and you have two choices. Either you're going to dwell and you're going to moan, you're going to uh, complain and just, yeah, let it be out there and destroy your mood and your well-being in general, or you acknowledge that you say, fine what can I do about that? What can I learn from that? And that is, there's a growth mindset that everyone talks about, all the coaches in the world are, uh, you know, roaring about the growth mindset, but it is true. And it is about seeking opportunities within adversity. This is what positive psychology is. And what people see out on the outside that gratitude and kindness, it is of the way of finding new opportunities to see what you're grateful for even though it's terrible but there must be something good we all have something good to look for even if it's you know horrible on the outside yeah and i think that yeah i love that you know people ask me what do i do <laughs> and i say let me and i say let me tell you what i do so you you talking about what you do you've spoken about you work with people individually you work with practices which is really interesting you have put yourself out there on social media so you've done that thing scary you see you wouldn't you don't give it away you seem to be a pro at it but that's a scary thing to do um and you did a series of interviews with with a number of people on social media um uh 
asking about their kind of purpose you know you you spoke about their kind of purpose and so i i i i wanted to turn that question around and ask you what your purpose is do you think mm. It's a beautiful question. Thank you so much for asking me that because I, like you said, I ask a lot of people and the whole goal of me asking people out there is because we very often forget about our why. Why did we even start? Why is it important for us to work as a vet, to be in that industry? So for me, it's a little bit different now because my why is about uh, coaching and working with teams, much less than being a vet. Um, and I spend a lot of time thinking about it, trying to find a definition, a one sentence. And to me is, and please don't get me wrong, it, it will sound a bit like cliche, cheesy, blah, blah, whatever. To, I would love to be that type of person who makes other people feel finally comfortable with themselves. Mm. Is that clear for you? Do you want me to tell you more? And I, do you know, actually... So I want to be that type of person that makes people feel comfortable about themselves. Do you know what? I was expecting you to say something really cheesy. <laughs> and actually, I don't think that's cheesy at all. Like, I, it's funny you said, oh, I, you know, it's going to sound cheesy. Genuinely, that doesn't sound cheesy. And there's two, there's one main reason for that, because I, because I really believe what you're saying. So I think it comes from that place of, oh, no, she's, she's saying that, oh, yeah, she means that. So I think actually, I, I, so many people say that here, it's going to sound cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. And I'm like, and it never does because you're actually, because do you know what I mean? Because it's authentic. So actually, no, I don't think that sounds cheesy at all. And I think that perfectly kind of encapsulates what you're trying to do, you know? And I think one of the nice, you know, as you said at the beginning, it's really not all about social media, but actually for me, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, one of the joys about social media actually is actually there's there's a, a wonderful community of, of of actually very many like-minded people who together I think can really um create some quite significant change and some really wonderful, wonderful individuals um uh that that um I think can make a real difference, obviously, um obviously you included. Um so you know, as I say to, to almost everyone that we speak to, you know, I we we talk about inspiration. And you will have absolutely inspired people without potentially ever even knowing it um, through, you know, through the work you do now. I wonder if you can share with us who inspires you. Mm. Who inspires me? Who is my role model? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people who um, they will never guess that they inspire me. But there's loads of my coaches, for example. I learn from them very 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 much uh, because they come to me and they are they become very vulnerable they open up and they say out loud things that they would have never said that they felt afraid to say and that teaches me again and again and again to first of all appreciate that very much but also not to be scared myself to be my authentic self. And like I mentioned to you before in my surgical career I wasn't myself. So every time I see a person who doesn't pretend who they are, exactly who they are, um, I admire them. I would like to be like them. So I learned so much from, from the coaches. They really, really inspire me. There is also loads of speakers, particularly 
people who, like me, they joined a different culture, they speak the language that is not their native language, language for whom um, working in that completely new culture it would probably was a challenge. And I admire how eloquent they can be, how beautifully they speak. I love seeing in people their humbleness, but also um, a bit of wit. Uh, I love listening to people who are have a good sense of humor, who can cheer up people around them, who are have that willingness to help no matter what. There is a there is a lady who is um, a very famous psychologist, and I won't tell you now, guys, today who who that is. Uh, we can put that in the notes or something okay. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But maybe someone will guess is a person who uh, her parents they were in Auschwitz in the uh, in the camp, so she wasn't born there, but right after, and her family carried that that burden of you know having gone through such a horrible horrible time, and she learned from them from their mindset that you need to build a community they need to share with the community that's all about relationships she's such a generous person she's incredible she's so articulate in what she says she is open to learn even though she i think she's in her 60s i don't want to lie but I, she is an older older person always open to learn something new and to discuss instead of arguing even though she's incredibly intelligent knowledgeable person so i would love to be like her and that is my role model this is what wow. i admire and inspires me wow what a, <clears throat> what a great answer um so if you uh have obviously you know many sort of twists and turns in your career uh so far uh my question is what would you like to be when you grow up from here <laughs> huh and it's very interesting question because i was thinking about that even today because today is 11th of november so 11 11 and mm. someone dropped on social media oh 11 11 make a wish mm -hmm. so i had my wish about my future mm -hmm. so my future it would be amazing in the future to keep doing what fascinates me like i do now to be able to um, invest my whole time into that activity to reach many people out there. So what I do now, I, I see that it's still on a small scale. I would love to have a bigger impact to help more people in the same time. It would be fantastic. I would like to learn more. I would love to um, study more. I would love to publish more. I would love to gain more skills and so probably where I see myself is still working with people definitely what I'm doing now helping teams helping organizations on a bigger scale uh, introducing new tools and techniques that will make them feel more empowered that they know how to deal with the challenges when they come and it, that applies to every level to so the individual how to become more resilient for the leaders how to be better leaders and re more resilient themselves and for the for the organization as a whole to be more human friendly I, sorry, that's a very long answer, but this no. is how I how I see no. my dream in the future. <laughs> Sounds very good to me. Um, so if you were to go back and do all of this again, would you still make that application to vet school? Yes, hundred percent. Yes, um, 
if it wasn't for everything that happened to me, my career, being a vet, um, even all that adversity and, and you know, incivility that I faced and needed to go through, I wouldn't be here today with you talking about my dream in the future right. <laughs> and getting to know you and other people. Like you said, there's so many wonderful people in the well-being area in our veterinary community. I'm so grateful to meet some of them, hoping mm. to meet the rest of them, mm. cooperating with them, collaborating with them. I really, really believe that we need to unite to have the best results. And I don't believe in competition in this area. Oh, I, so, yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I said that I was, I can't remember, I was chatting yesterday. And I, again, I come back to, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And there really is, there is room for everyone. There is no... We're not we're not working in a saturated space in this profession, not at all. And you know there there's room for as many podcasts as many. You know it's not you know same thing for me as far as you know I don't. Um, initially, I, you know you kind of get that imposter thing when you start a podcast and you think, oh God, but there's other veterinary podcasts and we, what are they going to think and are they going to be annoyed and what about you blah blah blah. blah. And I just and I, and now I realize well. I mean, it doesn't matter because they do their thing. I do my thing. Come on my podcast. Let me come on your podcast. Like there's room for everyone. Do you know what I mean? In all of these, in every space, you know, what they, we're talking about, it doesn't, it almost doesn't kind of matter. So yeah. And and I love that there's competition. It's not really a thing. There's no need. It's not a thing. And there's, there's, <laughs> it sounds horrible. It's another example of a good thing coming out of the bad thing, <laughs> but there is enough misery out there in the world for every single coach yes mentor person in the veterinary industry to have lots of work to do so i think if we share the experience if we combine our talents this is where we can be truly truly successful because one person cannot fit everybody's taste cannot fulfill everybody's needs when we work together put that together then we become invincible yeah it's true it's true it's true so if there's one piece of advice that you could give the people listening what would that piece of advice be what would be i would say take your life in your own hands mm. you have the power you really have a choice. We talk a lot about a choice. No matter how difficult it seems, make that choice. Just don't be afraid. Go out there. And the time is now. We need to stop waiting in the waiting room of our lives. <laughs> we need to go out there. massive thank you to Liv for chatting today it really she is a, just a, a really great human being and a joy to chat to and, and I thank her so much for her time and sharing her her thoughts and her her journey with us just going into our clinical segment now as I said we're going to round up our chat about hypothyroidism okay so the treatment of hypothyroidism just to finish off and um, hopefully this is quite uh, brief um, first of all, it's a treatment for life. So this is not a condition that we're going to necessarily be curing, something that we're going to be treating animals, dogs with for the rest of their lives. There are some natural products on the market, but they're 
relatively unreliable. And so really we're talking about giving a dog a synthetic T4 uh, replacement orally, some sort of thyroid supplement or uh, um, supplementation orally. Some things just to be aware of that might generally maybe not too problematic, but GI absorption of these um, thyroid medications will vary. And so I would try and be quite consistent with diet and how you're administering the medication because that could have some effect on absorption. The The total um, daily dose of, of thyroid medication, um, obviously it depends on the... The medication that you're giving so that to always obviously check the the manufacturer um guidelines but somewhere in the region of um 0.02 to 0.04 milligrams per kilogram body weight is not unusual and that can be recommended once twice or three times a day that will depend a little bit on the individual many people will uh, start with once daily dosing some people will um start with 0.02 milligrams per kilogram twice a day um, and maybe reduced to once a day uh, over time. I, my, my, Personally, I would start with, with the 0.02 milligrams per kilogram twice daily. The, you know, the response to medication will vary with the individual um, and ultimately adequate treatment is always going to come down to a lack of clinical signs. So when you get rid of of um, the clinical signs, then that's obviously treatment um, success. Lethargy will often improve after a few weeks. Um, most clinical signs will improve within four to six weeks, although it's important to remember that dermatological and other signs may take months to resolve. And I think that's also important from an owner expectation um, point of view. So we, we start the medication and then we kind of have to make a decision about how we're going to monitor that med medication. And ultimately, um, you know, we can think about taking bloods um, after, uh, you know, after being on treatment for um, a period of time. Um, that period of time, you know, will, I suppose, again, depend a little bit on the patient. Um, we would expect potentially a steady state of these medications within a couple of weeks, but some people will wait, wait up to, to four weeks uh, to take monitoring bloods. But between two to four weeks after starting um, uh, you know, treatment. As a rule of thumb, for, for those patients that are um, being dosed once a day, then I would normally take blood six hours after the, the pill and try and keep that relatively consistent. And you're looking for um, uh, a value of uh, approximately 50 nanomoles per litre when you measure T4. Um, values below 35 nanomoles per litre are usually associated with a, a an in inadequate clinical response. Um, and, and I would normally uh, therefore recommend uh, a dose uh, increase at that stage. And I would normally increase by around 25% of the total um, dose and then recheck again in um, two to four weeks time. With twice daily dosing, I would expect total T4 values to be at the high end or just above the reference interval four to six hours after administration. 
um, and remain within the reference interval prior to the next dose. Um, so just maybe slightly different for um, uh, twice daily dosing dogs. And again, if you're not getting adequate uh, values with your with your medication, then a 25% dose um, increase is um, recommended. The, the main thing to be aware of is a, a marked increase in total T4 concentrations. So particularly a, a, above 19 animals per litre can occur and may actually be associated with clinical signs of hyperthyroidism and that should definitely be um that should definitely be avoided and it can happen and and actually interestingly there's a really interesting case report uh where a patient who was not on thyroid supplementation but his his housemate was um and actually this dog ate the feces of a dog that was taking levothyroxine so a thyroid supplementation and actually through eating the feces of its pal ended up with hyperthyroidism so even that can cause you to get to you know high levels of 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 thyroid so just be that's obviously a one-off um case report but but just to be just to be aware what I would say is that um, dogs with concurrent illness, such as cardiac disease or hypoadrenocorticism uh, or diabetes, I would just be slightly more gradual about my in- introduction of the thyroid medication. Hypothyroidism is a difficult disease to diagnose when there's concurrent illness. We know that. But actually, um, gradually um, uh, introducing um, maybe 25 to 50% of the starting dose I would recommend when there's concurrent illness, just so we're not in- inducing any um, uh, adverse uh, effects with the, the introduction of the, the thyroid medication. So that's just something to potentially be uh, aware of and is quite a good recommendation. Just to kind of summarise, on a twice daily protocol, what we're hoping for is to achieve values at the top or slightly above the reference range at the expected time of of peak concentration, um, and that's you know three to hour three to four hours post pill, and a value within the lower half of the reference range if you're sampling prior to the administration of the next pill, and that's you know that people would talk about that as the trough concentration. Again, to be honest with you. You know, doing it three to four hours sort of post pill, you know, that's probably um, sufficient, and and therefore we don't need to kind of confuse ourselves maybe with the trough uh, concentration. But we need to be aware of that timing, and I think that um, it's really important that we are consistent um, with the um, the timing of our of our medication potentially. Just to finish off, we, you know, we we're talking about hypothyroidism as very much a, um, you know, very much a, a dog problem, and it is a dog problem, although it also has been described in in cats. So we must be aware that hypothyroidism can occur as a spontaneous disease in cats, but very rarely, and actually most commonly we see in cats post radioactive iodine therapy when it kind of goes in the diff- you know the opposite direction. But ultimately, this is very much a disease of dogs that we're talking about. So I hope you've enjoyed our whiz through hypothyroidism. That rounds that up. We'll move on to a different topic next time. If you have any questions, then please do give me a shout.
So a massive thank you again to Liv for joining us today. She was a joy. Uh, really uh, lovely to chat to her. Thank you to you, as always, for listening. It always blows me away that you do, uh, and I'm very grateful for that. If you want to find out about VTX more, then do head over to our website, www.vtx-cpd.com. Um, and if you uh, want to find out a bit more about Live and actually a little bit more about VTX too, then there is some more details in our show notes as well. And as always, um, I thank you and we will see you next time.